1: I have to say, I was very excited for this conversation. Bruce Coburn is undeniably a giant among Canadian songwriters and performers. Incredibly prolific, intelligent, and talented, his canon of work has such breadth that it's astonishing. But not far behind him is Hawksley Workman. Between the two artists, there are over 35 full-length albums to dive into. Both artists have reached truly admirable levels of commercial success, and now continue to release albums and tour to devoted fans worldwide. For Push Button Radio, Hoxley's band Mounties, which includes Ryan Dahl of Limb Lifter and Steve Bays of Hot Hot Heat, covered Coburn's 1979 hit Wondering Where the Lions Are. The Mounties version of the track goes into some pretty wild territory sonically, but Bruce seemed to really appreciate the new direction. This was such a great conversation to sit in on. As excited as I was to bring these artists together, I was clearly eclipsed by Hoxley, who was simply bursting with enthusiasm at the opportunity to interview Bruce. It's really a lovely conversation between two amazing artists. And if you're a fan of one or the other or both, I think you'll find something here that you hadn't heard before. So please enjoy Hoxley Workman and Bruce Coburn on the Push Button Radio podcast.
0: There's Bruce.
1: There he is. Hello. How are you doing? Welcome. Thanks for joining us
2: i oh, glad to be with you. Thanks for having me
1: here. So um, my name is Joseph. I'm I'm in Vancouver and with Light Oregon Records. And uh, the, the quick backstory is we're putting up this record of Canadians covering Canadians, essentially. But, um, you know, I thought it'd be exciting to connect some of these artists. So for this series, I've had the pleasure of uh, having Andy Kim on with one of our artists, uh, Johnny Payne. And uh, last week I spoke to Ken Tobias and uh, an artist named Adrian Glynn. And this is super exciting to have you two uh, gentlemen on today. Um, you know, to be completely honest, I hope I don't have to say anything. I'm just eager to hear you two guys uh, chat. <laughs> yeah, well, <you> know, <laughs> I'm just here in case any fights break out or anything like that. Um, be... <laughs>
2: yeah, we'll probably be able to think of things to say. <laughs> <laughs> How are you hey there? there. Uh, I'm pretty good. How are you?
0: Well, are you in San Francisco? Yeah. And how has pandemic time been for you this year in San Francisco?
2: Uh, you know, it's, it's been probably not unlike it's, it's been for everybody else, except for people living in Florida or who don't care. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I don't think we've been as hard hit as some places. And, and I, I think that feeling is, I mean, it's pretty noticeable from what I read. I mean, none of us have done any traveling. Uh, last June, we did it. Uh, we rented an RV and drove up the coast, visited friends up north of Seattle, and, and you know, and a couple of other people along the way. And with the RV, we could do socially distant visiting because we had our own bathroom, basically. <laughs> and and uh, uh, you know, so we had some. Uh, uh, we got together with my friend Jenny Scheinman in, in Arcata uh California and and had some great jams on her back deck. Nice. You know, distant sufficiently distant. And um yeah, yeah, that was really great. But that was kind of the highlight of the year for all of us really. We haven't done anything else. So that's very interesting.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say, like if to be honest, you know, uh when I think of the peripatetic lifestyle, like, you know there's at least one sort of travel, like there's a travel song on every one of your records. And in a way, like travel is a big part of the Bruce Coburn narrative as a guy who's fanatical for your music. I think there's one thing that, especially when I was a kid, like listening to your music, it gave me a sense of the the breadth and the polyphony of the world that existed beyond the walls that I knew as a teenager. And and it gave me a lot Mm. to imagine. So, I mean, I know for me, I haven't sat this Dormant for 23 years. For you, you're, what, has it been 40 or 50 years since you've been this dormant? or Yeah, so, yeah, more. 50 at least, yeah. I mean, and like, it's... And I, yeah, mean, I can't it, stress that enough, that the travel is a big... It, it, it's a part of... A big part of your narrative. And so, have you felt empty without it, or are you kind of glad to be sitting around? Um.
2: Well, some of the sitting around has been good. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's nice to there's, there's been an element of ease about it all, but, but I miss touring for sure. I miss, I miss the travel and I I miss uh, playing for people, you know? Uh, so there's that, but, and, and it's true. This is the most stationary I've been for for 50 years, I guess. Um, but that weighs fairly lightly, really. I mean, it, it's partly the age I'm at, I guess, and I'm just sort of less motivated to feel like I have to go to places I've never been. right um, a little bit, although there's lots of interesting places I would cheerfully say yes to going to if the, if the opportunity came up. But, um, but I mean, even things like going to the, going to the mountains, uh, we haven't done anything like that and, and that sort of stuff yeah is is, is 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 um that's an absence for sure
0: i think back you know after i read your book i i think i told you before i read it on a, a beach at an all-inclusive vacation in mexico i was the most bummed out guy at the resort in a way because there was because you're reading that book because <laughs> i was reading that book i mean i mean it was phenomenal in a way and again like your career to me is is idyllic i mean it's because it's not mine, it's yours. But for me as a, as a younger artist who was looking up to, you know, in in many ways, a distant mentor, your career has been the one that's most interesting to me. Um, and, you know, I guess there was a, a, I believe it was the part of the book where you were leading up to, I think, did you go to Iraq like 10 years ago or so? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, uh, 2004. And in that perfect, perfectly Bruce Coburn way, you, you sort of crystallize it in a very dry, like, you know, you can buy a plane ticket really to go anywhere. You just got to show up and get on the plane. You said it, and I, I know I'm not crystallizing it quite right, but in the book, it, it really is a sense like the matter-of-factness of travel. Really, if you just take your body to an airport, you can buy a ticket to get almost anywhere. And the world's accessibility, again, too, part of your narrative has been um, – your environmentalism, was there ever a time where you thought like, we're probably going to not be flying on airplanes. Like there's going to be an initiative where travel will just have to stop or have you, did that ever? Yeah, I, I, did don't, years? I don't, we'll get to
2: that. I think, I, I think what might be, happen though is that travel becomes prohibitively expensive for all, but the, the, the most wealthy. Right. And it'll be a, it'll therefore be a kind of measure of some sort of privilege for, for, uh, in in a way that it's not now i mean i, I don't know but it seems to me uh, uh it's a very it's not a very energy efficient uh mode of behavior <laughs> the way most of us do it right I so know. um i mean if you want to walk somewhere you'll always be able to walk somewhere probably um but for in, in terms of air travel and and um sea travel and that sort of thing i mean that's Look, like we've already kind of lost rail travel because it's too expensive or mm. because, it, well, it's partly that and partly uh, choices that have been made to emphasize highway uh, convenience rather than rail travel. But but uh, I mean, all, all that stuff, I remember a few years ago, I was thinking, uh, actually in the early part of the 2000s, I, I was living in Montreal and I, I was thinking, you know, it'd be really... I Be really time. It's, it's time to do more road travel before it's impossible. Mm. Before before fuel becomes just so expensive that it's not worth trying to do it. And um, you know, so I uh, I took some steps in that direction, but then never actually did it. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> I was I was I was kind of sentimentalizing over the kind of travel that I had done in the seventies, where you know it was it was. Uh, just a, us in a pickup truck with a Capra on the back made into a camper, and, and we could go anywhere. And
0: uh, I mean, I remember bouncing around on the back of your gray Sprinter that had a, like an old writing desk in the back, a writing desk and a bed. Do you still have that?
2: No, I don't have that. It, it, the Sprinter uh, didn't, once my young, younger daughter was born, uh, the wondering? Sprinter was not a suitable vehicle anymore. She's nine now. Yeah. So uh, that that sprinter went sat in in the in the driveway of the the house in Ontario that I have uh, for about a year, just gathering fungus, and and then um, my son in law took it over, and it, it moved to Montreal, and it, he's he's using it in his business now. But but um, no, so I've got, we've got a minivan like a soccer mom van, you know, and yeah. that we drive around San Francisco.
0: <laughs> you know, this is a good image for me. You know, you're not supposed to meet your heroes. I've met you, of course, yeah, well, I think four or five times, and you've been gracious with me, but I like to have these tidbits. It's nice to, um, to have these sort of human elements to demythologize. Imagining you in a, in a Keep soccer Keep going. Rock. You'll get lost more. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. It's good. It's good. I mean, I think in a way, you know, Bruce, I'm always <clears> – <throat> you know, I think the last time when I interviewed you, quote unquote, for the Globe and Mail, the gist of the piece was me, you know, what was I trying to do? It, it get you to admit a certain um, competitiveness. I know when I've seen you live, even back, way, way back when I started to see you in high school in the late 80s, you would make quips on stage that, uh, that let me in on the fact that you were cognizant of the business side of what was happening. You would, you know, you would you would quip about, oh, this isn't a single or this didn't, you know, the radio didn't touch this or something like this that let a young sort of fledgling artist like me know that even though this guy is, you know, it's – he's eternally artistic and, you know, as an artist, this he's untouchable but – He's clearly got a finger on the pulse of what's happening behind the scenes. Was I was I right on that? Like, I mean, I know that with Bernie and you having the longest managerial and artist relationship in the history of popular music, like you have probably been kept to some degree at arm's length from the day to day. But maybe, too, because I've, I've talked a lot about how there are certain people from your era or maybe just before you in Canada whose careers have been deified. And, and for me, I'm like, you are still... For me, the greatest Canadian songwriter, arguably the greatest songwriter of all the Jonies, the Leonard's, for me, you're still number one. And I think during the Globe interview, I was like, can I get Bruce to say that you're cognizant of the competition or that you're (laughs) cognizant of the business or that you care at all or that you don't care at all? And I think more or less, I got what I expected from you, which was uh, that you don't really think about it. But you do think about your place in the business, your place. I mean, are you thinking about that?
2: Well, I think about making a living. Sure. You know, I mean, it, that's that's the practical application of of, of this, this line of thought. I mean, that's it, it, where everything starts. How do you make a living doing what you what you love to do without having the business concerns uh, encroach on the on the creative side? Sure. You know, and it's uh, there's a, everybody has to find their own balance for that. And some people, um, you know, Annie DeFranco, for instance, seems to manage to do everything well. Mm -hmm. both the creative stuff and the business stuff um you know i think other people have have more trouble and other people some people are sort of better at the business and they're successful but the the songs aren't that great um (laughs) but you know that happens but but uh, i mean
0: i so you put on the leather jacket you put yeah. the leather jacket on in the sixties to your against your parents, uh, you know, wishes, which I remember. <laughs> but I, when I look at your career, and, and forgive me if I if this is all a little bit standoffish, but I, again, I've looked at your career. I mean, I, I in in many ways, it's I, I've been, you know, you've been a part of my life for more decades than you haven't. So, I look at your, you know. Long career, and I look at where some of like again the Neils, the Jonies, they went to California, they invested in their own personal brands, they became famous. Again, reading your book and bumming out on the beach, you seem to is more of a Chuck Yeager approach, where the duty of your artistry was. <clears throat> was the was the scent that kind of that you chased it seemed to me through your entire career instead of like how can bruce coburn be cool what kind of outfit can bruce coburn wear and what kind of thing can he say in an interview to appear cool to you're just earnestly following your muse as it were whether that is into war zones whether that is into um christianity like doing things that it arguably like very unfashionable but (laughs) but in many ways like more, uh, more, a uh, much more sturdy artistic narrative. If you know what I'm saying, am I making any sense?
2: Yeah, I mean it's a choice. That's uh, well, it's an ongoing set of choices. Actually, uh, uh, at any one point, you're invited to make uh, make a choice between doing something that's just for notoriety, uh, or you know, doing something that that means something to you, and or, you know, or just choosing not to do the 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 thing that'll get you attention um because you don't want the kind of attention it'll get i mean i worried more about this stuff in the 70s when i was getting started than mm-hmm. than i do now uh now i don't worry about, about it much at all because you know there's everyone's kind of settled into their niche and
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh you know there's there's still occasions when we have to think strategically, but uh, but most of the time it's it's already in motion in a, in a, in the direction that it is. But uh, back in the when I was getting started, I made a, a conscious choice um, to, for instance, to stay in Canada rather than move to the states. Sure. Uh, because it seemed to me that uh, at the time, this is going in the late sixties. It was obvious that Canadians had a new inf- major inferiority complex, creative, you know, artistically, right? You know, so the, the only way you could get success among Canadians was to move to the states and get approval there, and then come back home. Right. And I, I thought that was ridiculous. I wasn't the only one. Murray McLaughlin thought like that. I mean, mm. Gordon Lightfoot obviously chose something similar. I'm not sure what his reasons were, but um, but the uh, I remember getting in arguments with people over whether Joni Mitchell was Canadian or not.
0: Interesting. And
2: and the, and the, and the the argument that I was trying to counter was, well, she's good. She can't be Canadian. (laughs) I mean, and people actually said that out loud, you know, so this is what, so this, this informed, you know, to a great extent that the choice that I made about staying in Canada, which was one aspect of what you're, talking
0: about what do you think that inferiority what's the origin of that inferiority complex because frankly uh, decades later i still feel that canada is is, that is a cumbersome element to the way we understand ourselves as creators of entertainment and culture what what is the deal with that
2: i I don't know i mean I, i i i haven't really paid much attention to it for a while but Because it seems to me now everything's global. So, you know, I mean, nobody, when Brian Adams appeared on the scene, nobody cared if he was Canadian or not. He was just, he just had hits and he was good and he was big. Same with Alanis Morissette. Um, You know, people, several people of that generation, let's say. Um, At this point, you know, people are just on their screens and and global things, show up and they become popular for a minute or two or, or for longer um canada well for one thing doesn't have as much money as the united states that's a factor yeah uh but but i think what um back in the day it was really because we were still finding our feet having i mean it, it sounds ridiculous in a way to say this because you know, in the, the mid-60s, the country's 100 years old, but uh, the, uh, pe- you know, it, it takes more than 100 years, apparently, for countries mm-hmm. to discover who they are or what they yeah. are. And, and so Canada was still kind of discovering that. And what, growing up, I was taught that the good stuff all came from England. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the States was exciting and interesting, but, and actually we liked American stuff a lot. Like we, we wanted to watch Westerns and we wanted to buy American guitars and yeah. all the rest of it and cars. But if you wanted really good quality goods, they came from England and the, and the sort of moral propriety, the um, or the sense of moral propriety that was handed down was an English one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of thing. I, I mean, that's, to a lesser extent true in the States too, but, but it was strong in Canada because we didn't fight for our independence. We, you know, we, we negotiated it. And uh, yeah. so it, it, it was different in that respect, but there was this, this kind of envy, you love hate relationship with the States where, you know, we would disparage various American behaviors while craving the stuff they were making. Uh, so Um, you know, uh, uh, but that's, I find, and the desire of people to fragment into, into mutually hate filled groups seems to never go away. Uh, but I mean, you can see it happening all over the U S right now. I mean, there's, it's, it's really uh, culturally in a way coming apart. Uh, but, um, it, you know, and that could happen in Canada, and it could happen between Canada and its neighbors, too. Any 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 social group can get into that. But um, I, I think that we, the, there's also, be, partly because of the internet and partly because of just how many people there are, and, and the way world business works, that uh, there's a, a sense of pulling the whole globe together so it's these you have these kind of competing strains that uh it's, it's hard for me to guess which way it'll end up going, but um, we can hope that the 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 global view, not globalization but the, the, the understanding of ourselves as one planet uh, uh, will will triumph
0: you know. It's funny because you know I don't want to keep you know, trying to be funny about the bummer, uh, you know, that I was having reading the book. It was a bummer on on several funds. It was that um, the the fundamental arc of your story and the fact that you had held so so firmly to your convictions for an artist like me who, you know, in my own career, in my own time, like I started 25 or 30 years after you and was, you know, faced with a different reality. But the one thing about that... um, holding to convictions, there's something timeless about that. Now um it, it was all a bummer because it was like this guy is has a power about him uh in the decisions you make that is that that lends uh, um an airtight credibility to what it is you've always done to me. And um and I guess the other side of this bummer narrative is really that I feel like you've, you're a perfect duality of somebody with. Uh, there's always there's always a few threads of, of of Christian hope being woven in the fabric of your songwriting, while there's always a, a, a dismay and a lack of hope, or a I would I wouldn't say like a gurgling you know, uh, uh, lusty uh, misanthropy going on, but I feel like you have a similar relationship to humans that I do, which is could take or leave from time to time. So where do you sit today with a nine-year-old kid uh, who's growing up in the era of the internet? Where is this Bruce of convictions and positivity versus negativity and outlook? You've seen a lot of shit and you have a depth and an intelligence about you that makes you a very interesting Person to have wandered the world with a guitar and written all these stories down, three hundred and fifty plus over what is it, forty plus albums or whatever. Like to no. me, you're a talisman. You're you and always have been a talisman. So how does the talisman, where you sit at seventy five now with a kid who's nine, you're looking out. You're living in in America, this sort of bizarre uh, empire state. Is it falling apart? Is it not? Never bank. You know, never bet against America, you know, where, where are you at right now?
2: <laughs> How much time have we got? Um, you know, I, it's, it, I'm, I'm still in motion.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know,
2: we're not much physical motion this year, but, uh, for me, life is still, uh, an unfolding map in a way, you know, I, you take a step and, and so, more of the map on rules ahead of you and and uh so i'm you know basically doing my version of what we all do which is stumbling along toward our death yeah. trying to make sense of it to, you know and and trying to uh, trying to have um, a life with some satisfaction in it along the way and and so i've been Pretty lucky in that department, or or maybe I was smart or something. I don't know, but I, I think of it more as as a blessing that uh, uh, to have Bernie being a manager, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, who's who's been able to uh, who's allowed me rather to be able to stay away from the business side to uh, to the extent I do, uh, in, and also has the strategic gifts that he has. Uh, I've been blessed in, uh, in in being in not being confronted with uh anything that was totally overwhelming uh in terms of being able to stick to my idea of how I should be doing things uh there, there's certainly been obstacles, but nothing that that couldn't be either gotten through or gotten around and um so that's another, another piece of luck or blessing, depending on your view. And um, that continues. I mean, I, you know, here I am, I'm 75. I've got my aches and pains and I, but I've got this you know, a nine year old who's smart and enthusiastic and lively. And, and, uh, and I gotta, I gotta be there for her.
0: Yeah.
2: To the as long as I can be. And, um, so you know, a certain amount of energy is re- required for that, which does encroach a bit on the music, I have to say, uh, but um, but in a good way, really. And I'm still I'm still working on the, on songs. I've got five new songs now this year, which is slower than some years, but faster than others. And in terms of the writing pace. Um, uh, we've got this, uh, the, actually I recorded a video demo of four of the new songs that's, that's going to be, uh, put out for people, uh, next weekend. Cool. I think officially, uh, I gave it to, my, to the church I go to to use yeah. as a fundraiser, but if people want to hear the new songs, there's, there's a video of me playing them that will be available soon. So, you know, the, the, this stuff goes on. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been very slow in uh, in terms of the online thing. I, I it's just um, it it doesn't seem out of reach, but it's it's hard to get excited about it for me because it's kind of yeah. I don't know why actually. I was going to say because <laughs> because it's so different from what I'm used to doing, but it, that's not really the reason. I think it's uh, it has more to do with um, a kind of. Just Skepticism about that way of of presenting stuff, but uh, anyway, I've been dragging my feet a bit on that, but I have to get it together, and and that's that's, you know is slowly happening.
0: I mean, yeah, social the social media juggernaut as a ah, as a quasi hope for you know music publicizing your music. It's I, I, I don't know if it's if it's necessarily fulfilling its you know, it's full promise or not, but um, so let's move on to the song Wondering Where the Lions Are, which is what my yeah. band Mounties uh, recorded a few years yes, ago. Yes,
2: I have to say I, I found it really interesting what you guys did with the song. I, I, it was fun to listen to.
0: Uh, bless you, Bruce. Um, you know, of course I, um, that that was a funny era in my life. I had an interesting few things happen to me at 40 where I wrote a one-man show that had a, had a lot of success. And then I started this band with a couple of other guys who had sort of used to be famous guys. And we did, we drank a lot of wine and did a lot of mushrooms and smoked a lot of weed for a couple of years. And I had this bizarre, like teenage life that I didn't really have as a teenager because I kept my nose clean as a teenager, as it were. So you're hearing some, you're hearing the sound of middle age, young, early middle-aged men under the heavy influence of, um, psilocybin and wine and what have you and you know i think about you as a musician again who've been a huge influence um there's a precision in the way you approach things there's obviously no precision in the way we approach your song you didn't hear that and go man these punks are just messing around with my thing
2: no i thought i thought it was real. it was a fresh take on it and i thought you caught the spirit of the song perfectly Um, i i found the the element of chaos in in the you know in, yeah. in that performance of the song really appealing actually.
0: Okay, this makes um, me
2: excited. So, you know, I mean, it was yeah. I mean, it's the stoner version. <laughs> it, I the, my first thought was, oh, this is like the vanilla fudge doing whatever <laughs> you know, like where they took the hits and slowed them down, played yeah. them at happy. But then, but I mean, I that that was a fleeting impression that didn't last because. It's it's more interesting than that would suggest. But uh, anyway, I, I liked what you did. So
0: You know, I guess there's been some speculation about your relationship to that song. You know, I have a song that, you know, kind of made me a little bit famous that I never play because it's a pain in the ass and I just don't like it anymore. I know did you, you went through that spell. I don't know how long you didn't play it for a while. Is that right? I feel like you've yeah. played it every show I've ever seen, but... I'm totally with spell right where you didn't play it.
2: There was a couple of years in there where I didn't play it. I just rubbed my eye and I had some jalapeno on my finger, so I just it's slightly distracting. Oh, good. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> okay. I'll be tearing up in a second. Um,
0: the yeah, interview was well, so
2: good. That is so weird. Um, in any case, and that's the good eye that I can see out of, so you're a bit blurry now. Um, in any case, um, where were we? we were talking oh, about that, yeah, a couple of years. It had to lie fallow. I mean, I just, I was just so sick of it. I, that's happened with other songs. It happened with if I had a rocket launcher too. And that was complicated by other sure. reasons as well be, in that case, because of was the nature of that song. But, but Alliance, uh, you know, after, after not playing it for a couple of years, it came back and it was fresh and I don't mind playing it now. It's, just, it's, and it's, still the song that everybody wants to hear
0: yeah it's it's i mean it is a beauty and again like i i sometimes look at my own career you know i've written songs about soup and you know and and songs about my grandma and and i i i feel like i i snuck in a secret mandate from you which was to use you know cumbersome or non-traditional language in the context of popular music or rock and roll. You know, petroglyph shows up in this uh, song, the word petroglyph. And of course, you've made even note of it on stage that there's probably not another song in the popular canon that uses that word. (laughs) For a young person, for me, you know, as a kid growing up in rural Ontario, the didactic nature of your music um, was part of what got me excited. I felt like I was being treated to a, a, a quite a, a wide view on a on a on a worldscape that I hadn't yet had a, had the chance to look into, and these big words and these big ideas to me were always fundamental to what felt spiritual and important about listening to your music. I mean, I don't get the sense you were cognizant of that. I don't think I, I don't get the sense like Bruce Coburn sits at home and goes, geez, what kind of you know. Utterly unusable word I'm going to toss into this pop video <laughs> if I can, like, really throw anybody for a loop. Like, this is just Bruce Coburn the guy at work, right?
2: Yeah, it's language. I mean, language has the capacity to convey so much, uh, a lot of which, I mean, in, in everyday conversation, things get simplified and we resort to shortcuts and, and slang that's, that could be interpreted in any number of ways or whatever. But, you know, if you when when you read works of what we consider to be literature, um, there's such an incredible range of ways of expressing oneself through language. And the it just seems to me that that that's such a such a huge palette that why not use it all or as much of it as, as I can get my get into what I do. So that's the starting point for that. I just, like, uh, it It just seemed, I mean, how, what, I could have said thousand-year-old rock paintings, but that just, that sounds lame when, you, when there's a perfectly acceptable word for those same things, right?
0: I guess, you know, I've often th- tried to figure out how, when I'm in these passionate, you know, when I'm, <clears throat> when I'm playing when I'm standing up for you in the great music debates that are usually fueled by some bottle of wine or other, <clears throat> and I talk <laughs> about your songwriting, wondering where the lions are, "Rumors of Glory," um, your your chorus hooks have this an almost eternality to to the way they make me feel. It's like I'm wandering towards a mountain in the center of a field, like that the concept tied into what you're able to tie into a three or four, um, lovers in a dangerous time. I mean, even polished and precise, like the brain behind the gun, like, I think there was something. And and again, I, as I'm 46 now and, you know, I've sort of been a devotee for a very, very long time. I'm glad I have, because I feel like I got a special set of, of, of very, very secretive lessons about language and how elastic it is. Um, again, the polyphony within the, the the sound of words, I feel Mm -hmm. like I feel like you must listen to rap music and go, these guys are nicking some of my thing. Like, I feel like the way <laughs> that, that you saw words as this somewhat morphous, you know, not always needing a hard rhyme, not always, you know, you know, you had an approximation approach to certain rhymes, but your, your sense of image, rhyme, and words being able to create this, like, I can't, I, there, there's no better word than eternality. You may have a better word. And then maybe that comes from, you know, your, your, um, the the Christian resonance that's moving through you in biblical images and 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 mm-hmm. the, the heaviness of an ancient language sitting there, but you just did things in a particular way that to me no one's ever done. And it's everything is massive. Coldest night of the year again, which is the song I've covered also high as well and and sloppily <laughs> as, as well. I hope you like that one as well. But anyways, like what what is it, Bruce? Like uh, I, I mean again, I feel like you're still my main guy. And I'm still, even though I know your music very, very well, I'm still trying to unpack some of the math going on there. And then some of the, um, the spiritual stuff that can't be calculated, the intangibles. Yeah.
2: Well, the, there's, there's, the, there's, a few different angles to what you're just saying there. So, uh, I mean, the, the language part of it really just comes from by hook or by crook, me ending up with the vocabulary that I have. Mm-hmm. I ha- and I know these words, so I use them. And it, it, that's not the product of careful study or, or dedicated uh, attempts to absorb a broader language. It's just, it's just what I grew up with. So um, I, I, it, partly it comes from an interest in reading uh, and, and especially in reading poetry. But um, a lot of it just comes from being around, from the people I've met, from the teachers I had, from you know, just whatever. So you know, once you know these words, I mean, it just seems silly not to use them. But
0: but to have uh, sitting
2: in think file folder
0: of your mind, Bruce, and have them readily available, there's one thing to know words, and then there's another thing to have it accessible in those moments where you're making a song.
2: Well, you know, you have the moments when you're making a song can be extended to as, as needed, right? So uh, if I can't think of how to say something, I can wait until I do think of it. In conversation, that's a little more difficult. But uh, it's, um, yeah, I mean, there was a song like This is Baghdad. You mentioned being in Iraq, and the song that I wrote about being there it took a long time to write. Because, A, I was only there for a week, so the, the, the experiences that I had were not deep even though the implications of them were but uh um, other songs i mean wondering where the lines are didn't take very long there was all these i had all these images most of them from british columbia or from other parts of the west and uh and then the dream that's mentioned and so on uh all just kind of conspired just like that when that dream happened uh about lions it resonated with an earlier dream that i as it says in the song and uh, it's um that kind of catalyzed uh or, or is that the word anyway something like that the the coming together of all these ideas that were sitting in my notebook these these various disparate images that all kind of played into because they're, the images were coming from the same time and space, more or less. They work together. Uh, that's how a lot of my songwriting is. I mean, I, I don't, I, I have very rarely sat down and, and said, okay, now I'm going to write a song about such and such topic. <laughs> it's uh, it, It's really, I mean, I may carry the desire to write about a particular topic for a while before I think of a way into it but um but it, it's it's not that deliberate to say uh, i have i have to wait until till the flow is starting mm. and then then the, then the ideas come or they don't as the case maybe
0: yeah right um I to, just maybe to change channels again i'm sorry joseph uh and you can cut us off whenever you'd like but i've I, since i've got <laughs> Bruce, i i well, you know i've been I I listen, I go back to your 80s stuff a lot, Um, and I go back to uh, Big Circumstance and Trouble with Normal, and Trouble with Normal gets a lot of spins still in my house, and especially the song, The Trouble with Normal, It's, it's as if you looked into the future we're currently living in and itemized it perfectly. Like, when I sing that song on the guitar myself, I'm... Struck by how those words are fulfilling themselves right now. I'm sure they were fulfilling themselves in the Reagan era, also. Are they, they sure were. fulfilling themselves? Is that the idea? Uh, well,
2: you know, yeah. Unfortunately, because the works Machiavellian like that.
0: reality. I guess. You,
2: well, you might. You know, we get breaks from these things every now and then. Are we, or we are lucky enough to live in a place where we're not directly touched by it, uh, by the political upheaval uh but sooner or later it comes around or you know if you're paying attention to what's going on in the world it's always around so uh you know in the Reagan era it was one set of disasters and and, or or uh threats to the comfort factor (laughs) in the way we live uh and now there's a different set of threats but but uh and it's tempting to think that the threats become more dire as time goes on. And they may, that might be real. I'm not sure it is. Mm. Uh, it does kind of feel like that, but um, it's, uh, you know, that's, that's a subjective take on it. So.
0: Are you carrying hope these mm. days? Yeah. I keep telling the tone there that,
2: yeah. <laughs> that says a lot, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, uh, I, I find it, uh, it's important to hang on to whatever shreds of hope one can because I mean, for, well, that I can for me, because, uh, I don't want to think of my young daughter growing up or, or my grandkids the you know, the children of my older daughter, um, growing up into the world that I can imagine them growing up into. I don't, I don't want to see that happen, but, uh, uh, so, you know, it's necessary to hang on to a little bit of hopefulness about that. But part of the way that I hang on to that hope, I think, is just by ignoring the prospects. <laughs> you know, it's like, OK, well, it's, it looks like it could go this way, but let's pretend it's not going to. And and I, in a way, pretending it's not going to might be a positive act because um, it it allows you to move forward and maybe address some of the things that are threatening. So. Uh, we'll see. You know, uh, it's it, it's hard to second guess what will become of this of, of the um, of the United States where I currently live. I mean, the countries. Uh, I think Bernie used this phrase a few, some a couple of months ago. He said, where, uh, you know, it, it just looks like the United States is committing suicide." and um they from one perspective it certainly does look like that Mm. from other perspectives you know we've been through troubles before we in the world i mean not just americans but just but in the world have been through this stuff before and survived it uh, or the equivalent and uh, there's enough people working to to move things in a good direction um that there's reason to be hopeful there.
0: Yeah. Um well let's say we wrap it up. Hey eh, Joseph and 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 it, my last thought on hope is that our show that we were supposed to play together at the CNE last year that was canceled is is yet not canceled. So I have hope that maybe I'll see you in late August or early September and that is that's keeping me alive a bit. I hope that I get to see <laughs> you in Toronto at the CNE. I mean I know you're a big rides guy. That's one thing I've picked up from your songwriting is Bruce loves rides.
2: (laughs) Not on, I I don't like roller coasters. No, me neither. We can skip the roller coaster, but uh, um, yeah, the last time I was on a roller coaster was in the eighties. And I, I, I I was sitting behind, I'd gone with a friend and I was, we were sitting single file kind of in this car and I, was holding on for dear life and I had my chin over her shoulder like this. And it, it I nearly broke her collarbone hanging on with my chin. <laughs> so it was terrifying. So I uh, you know there's other things that are that are more more fun. But uh but it would be great to do a gig together and I hope that happens. uh I'm not so sure that it will yeah. but um but it's something we can hope for and and Eventually, something like that will so
0: well Bruce, honestly, it was an honor for me and my band to um, you know have this this druggy experience making a version of a song that I absolutely love of yours, and uh, i 'm really geeked that you uh, are actually fond of it that 's even better. And I I had this feeling like I wasn't going to say anything too, too ridiculous to you today like I usually do, and I feel like I've more or less achieved that. I, I think with, you know, if I keep talking to you, I probably weed out some of the fanboy stuff and just, you know, get right down to the straight good. So I'm very, very grateful for this chat, very grateful that you'd take the time. And, um, and really, I, there are where I feel like I need to write you a letter to just try and itemize it in, in a particular way your... The, the the effect that you've had on my life, which is so massive, and the book um, it, it it reminded me again of that how much of you is sewn into my fabric. I'm very very grateful, like eternally grateful, that I had access to an artist as utterly splendid, thoughtful. Authentic and important to idolize. I don't know if you noticed, Bruce, but the zeitgeist isn't necessarily giving the youth, um, you know, geniuses or uh, or virtuosos to idolize anymore, like they did when I was young. So, for you, you know, for me, having a somebody who was at single, was at once a phenomenal musician, uh, erudite, beautiful language, and also had a nerdy outlook on sex and God, which to me, I think that was the thing. Was like. You know, Leonard was always a little bit macho, and I I think I was more in your lane. I was like, this guy, his nerdy sex questions and his nerdy god questions are more along where I, as a teenager especially, I was like, this dude is really talking my language. There's no swagger. (laughs) It's just a lot of questions and curiosity.
2: Well, you know, swagger's swagger's tricky because once you start, you kind of have to keep it up, and then it (laughs) can be quite difficult. I I chose to try to avoid it, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I, I just felt... I remember when I was uh, the thugs that I hung around when I was in 10th grade were tolerant of me because I was somebody outside their social group who actually treated them with respect. Uh, And, and I, I admired them and I admired the fact that they could like gather on a street corner and kick each other smithereens. And, uh, but I, they didn't do it to me mercifully and, but they let me hang around and, and, um, It it was a discovery in in a way that you don't have to get involved in this in the fights uh, of for dominance or these these displays of male whatever um, to be uh, acceptable in society and to and to be uh, to have something to to offer to those same people. Hmm. You know, so uh, I mean, I kind of felt like that when I was in in Afghanistan with. a brief trip to Kandahar when the Canadians were in, in uh, control of Kandahar air base airfield um and you know there I am among all these soldiers who are there to do a, a difficult and, and frightening job uh that I don't have to do but and, and you know they they were they were glad to see me and I was glad to see them and it all worked out it was uh, it's it just kind of a reminder that you can be in uh, that the social contexts in which we find ourselves are not uh, not necessarily walled fortresses. Okay, but you 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 can move from one to another as long as you do it with respect and and curiosity. I would say it would be another part of it. People want to talk about what they do. They want to share what they do. Uh, if you don't want to know it, then they're going to notice that. But um, I don't know. I don't know where this is going now, but it just seems like the, a basic approach to life that applies musically as well. I mean, you're you, you if you're only writing about yourself, I mean, in a sense, that's all we ever do is, yeah. you know, the writing. I mean, I learn about myself through, through my own songwriting. In a way, it's like, oh, is that what I... Is that what I really think? But but, um, uh, within that, or given that fact, there's still the broader application of it. So once you throw a song out there, each person who hears it interprets it in their own subjective way. The songs therefore can be a bridge um, among people or or constitute bridges among people. And uh, I I I'm I'm not sure where I was going. It's a little bit fuzzy thought in, in, in the thought process right now. But it but it seems to me that that's a really essential part of the whole picture of how I've spent my time. Um, and I, it seems to me that that was worthwhile, and it still feels that way.
0: Uh, well, I mean, I remember backstage at some event, you referring to yourself as a wimp, and I, it just was totally <laughs> incongruent with. My image of you, and you know, like I saw, I was at an air show as a kid and I saw an airplane crash and, you know, I don't like getting onto airplanes, but there are times when I am looking for, you know, a, an image or a, a talisman, uh, some uh, an idea that's going to help me, oh, if I'm having a particularly difficult day getting on a plane, I often think of you. I often think of the travel and the dangerous places you've taken yourself and that me getting on a plane at YYZ just to get off at another you know, at, at Calgary or whatever. Like, there's just simply, there's just nothing to be afraid of. And I even, you know, so uh, this, the, the, it's a, there's a collision of characters there because I get the sense that, okay, so you weren't punching each other out on the street, but you're hanging out with these guys. I mean, you are on the, what, you were on the southern border of Mexico in the 80s as a, observing wars that were happening. You've put yourself in pretty dangerous places quite a bit. I mean, is this, What are you exercising here?
2: Curiosity mostly. How does this feel? How does it feel to be in a place like that? Uh, That was a big question for me because you read about it all the time. I mean, it's like this is—it's such a part of the world, such a part of human behavior to to be fighting and and inflicting pain on each other. But they're not doing it around where I live. So you know, if I want to know about it, I got to go where where it's happening. That that was. Part of the motivation, part of it was more altruistic. Uh, you know, how can I help? Um, but, and, and, and how can I share with people like me who don't get to see this stuff up close, the impact that it has on, on, on the people who live there or on, on a bystander like me? Um, you know, I mean, if I when I wrote, if I had a rocket launcher, I was not trying to convince people to go and kill Guatemalan soldiers you know, or or nor was I serious about my own intent to do that. It's the, the, the word if is an important part of that. People forget that when they're talking about the song sometimes.
0: Right. But, it's, but a sta- it's a statement of rage or.
2: It was a statement of rage. It was a statement of outrage. And and I felt that anybody coming from any background uh, would feel something similar. But a lot of people don't know that. Like, well, why don't, why are people, why are those guerrillas in Guatemala fighting the Guatemalan government? Well, guess what? They got a good reason. And maybe that's a bad choice. Maybe it's a, it may it's a well, not maybe, it's a horrible fact of life in the world that these choices are inflicted on us uh, or forced on us at times. Like where the only recourse you have is to, to think in terms of killing people. It's, uh, it would be very nice if we didn't have that, but we do. It was not an attempt to uh, to lionize the guerrilla fighters either i mean every once you get into war, everything is terrible there's no good side mm. uh you know eventually you might be able to make something good out of the aftermath but uh, it just seemed to me that that growing up in you know in comfortable ottawa and um being sheltered from all this stuff uh, was was that it needed, that that needed to be, uh, that, that shell needed to be cracked. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I haven't taken that all that many chances really when you go to places I've always gone with people who knew what they were doing. So that I wasn't just the guy wandering around, not, not understanding what was going on. And, and I've always been, uh, generally protected in, in, in the context, uh, as well. So it's not like, you know, not, not like I've stood out there with bullets flying around my head, but, um, but you know, i I'm, you're close enough that that could happen. And and the feeling of being in a situation like that, uh, is one that, um, invites, invites a few good things It invites, a uh, an awareness of of the fragility of life, which I think is healthy uh it invites an uh, um, an appreciation of the people you're with uh that that you know it's easy to love people in a context like that mm. the people that are on your side that aren't trying to kill you yeah. because you it could all be over in minutes and and that uh I mean those were big things to learn.
0: The uh, don't shoot me, man. I'm a graceful slow dancer and just a dream to you, not really real at all. I th- I th- either you or Bernie talked about a dangerous situation in Italy I- again. And this to me is the way you wrap something so sexy into something so desperate and strange. And like again, this was <laughs> the appeal to me. How could he, how could you? But there was anyways. I, 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 because it seems like you are maybe a little bit willing to talk. I'm just I'm just I'm asking. But you you let me know when you're done. And Joseph, you can kick me off too. But um, in Italy, you were there touring at a time when there was some domestic upheaval, and you got awfully close to uh, a dangerous situation.
2: Yeah, it's sort of interesting to me that the, you know, having been in war zones in Central America and in the Middle East and uh, you know in in Africa, um, that the only place I've actually really had guns pointed at me <laughs> is in Italy. <laughs> and, and and it was um, on more than one occasion but that first tour uh, the first couple of tours in the, in the late 70s were really eye-openers
0: it may have um, been Hugh Marsh actually who was telling me the story, was Hugh with you?
2: he was with me on some of those tours uh, I, I, you know it, the, the cast of characters changed from tour to tour some but um yeah, Hubie did a lot of touring in Italy with me, especially in the 80s. But um and I think I don't remember actually who the band was on the first couple of tours. I don't it wasn't he he wasn't in it yet because he he got involved kind of uh around the time we were recording Dancing in the Dragon's Jaws. Mm. But um but uh in any case, that that uh, the 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 political situation in Italy was extremely volatile, and you had uh, fascist terrorists bombing things. They blew up the train station in Bologna. Uh, they 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 uh, you know there was kind of a street war between the the red brigades who were. the sort of the leftist terrorists and, and and these fascist creeps and so uh and the, the police were in in the middle of all that and they were very nervous and and tended to be trigger happy and that's who, how i ended up getting guns pointed at me because i was in the right age bracket uh, in the you right know, out. You, you looked apart well you, you could be anything i mean the, the cops were getting assassinated on the street corners uh, you know, the, and these young college-age people would sort of just walk up and shoot them, and uh, it was—you could see why they were nervous. But but they also weren't very well trained or or very well educated. we got uh, at one point we were playing, and you know, Hubie was there for this. We were playing in Turin uh, the night before one of these, red, one of the Red Brigade's leaders was about to go on trial for murder and other things. And uh, in, in, in Turin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're up there playing in this kind of basketball arena and the, the carabinieri, the sort of their equivalent of the RCMP, came in and uh, searched the stage for a bomb in the middle of the set. So all of a sudden we're we're playing a song I don't remember what I was playing but all of a sudden there's these guys in battle dress like creeping all over the stage and pulling pulling the drum kits apart and looking inside and you know we kept on playing but and at one point they they were sure that Bob DeSalle's cymbal case leather his this big round leather cymbal case was a bomb and they were it was they there was this major freak out going on, but it was all going on behind my back. Cause I was they, you know, it was, they were mostly at the rear part of the stage and, you know, I was closer to the audience. So I, I didn't really see much of it, but, but I was aware of it and it's like, what the heck, what are they doing there? But, but uh, it, it kind of blew over, but they had guards around the around the periphery of the place at, like up in the top of the bleachers, sort of um, guys in full kit with their rifles and everything. Uh, expecting trouble because it was a public event mm. uh, but I mean it was just that was just one of many experiences of that sort and it, uh, it, anyway it, it's just it, it was interesting and, and it made oddly it made touring in Italy a fun thing to think about doing next doing again <laughs> you know I mean it calmed down a lot when it calmed down a lot it wasn't nearly as much fun
0: yeah, right, right. You're gonna go for your favorite pizza spot in uh, in Rome, but then you know the, the also that great chance that you just might end up on the wrong end of a, the 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 dirty end of a gun. I mean, I love Italy and I think about Italy all the time, but I've never had that relationship to Italy at all that you have. I sh- I feel like I should leave it here, Bruce, even though I want to ask you a hundred more things, and maybe I'll <laughs> summon the cur the courage to ask Bernie, and we'll do another podcast where I can ask you about Christianity. Um, and and other stuff. Even aging. Um, I think about nothing but a burning light as an album which you must have made in your early forties and the experience of making one of your great records in your midlife and what that meant to, you know, the art the young artist's narrative and, and but these are questions for a later time. But just know that there's a kid in Peterborough, Ontario who's always burning with more Bruce Coburn questions and uh, they're gurgling away here. I'm so grateful for the time today. Uh, And Joseph, thank you so much for setting this up with the two of us. It's, um, yeah, I've been really looking forward to it. Bruce? Yeah. uh, Thank you again and uh, all the best to you and your family in San Francisco. And um, maybe I'll see you in September. See you in September. And... uh, (laughs)
2: There's a song in there somewhere. I bet you there is. <laughs> Thanks again, Bruce. Yeah. Well, it's nice to talk to you and thank you. And and uh, yeah, all the best to you too. Cheers. bye bye Thanks, guys.